Welcome to the Possum Time. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm Double T's, and we're here to talk about Highlander 3. To my left, I have... The Red Bandit. And to my right... Pop, pop. We've got a lot to talk about with Highlander 3. It really Do keeps it. the... <laughs> It really keeps the, the Highlander legacy alive. This is something that we've promised our, our loyal listenership for quite some time, just to, to keep the Highlander streak going. Uh, I, I think the best way to kick things off is with a plot synopsis from Pop Pop. Yep. Well, um, the third Highlander movie takes place in 1994, which means it's a prequel of the second film. Uh, after the death of his beloved wife, Heather... Uh, some centuries ago, uh, Connor left the highlands of Scotland and wandered around the world. Finally, he got to Japan, uh, where he met the famous sorcerer Nakano, uh, who was an immortal too. Uh, they became friends, and Nakano taught Connor some tricks, but one day an old enemy, Kane, came to Japan willing to find Nakano's cave and kill him. What's his name? Kane. 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 Uh, Kane with a K. K, yeah. yeah. Uh, although he succeeded after cutting Kano's head, the mountain collapsed and Kano was trapped. Now, centuries later, an excavation reveals Nakano's cave. Not a good idea. Mm, that's dangerous. What did you think, Red Bandit? What, what were some main themes that emerged to you in the course of watching Highlander 3? Which, by the way, had a lot of subtitles. It depended which country you were living in. I know we've got a great international listenership. Very international, very cosmopolitan, this movie. <laughs> Globetrotting is the only word for it. I mean, not, not everyone refers to this as Highlander 3. It's also known as simply Highlander, the final dimension. It's known as Highlander, the sorcerer. I think it's known as Highlander, the, the, the greatest duel. The magician. The magician. The magician, yeah. I think it, it, it could have been called Highlander, the illusionist. But, I mean, my question is, who's the illusionist? Is it Kane or is it Nakano? But, or uh, the Highlander. Or the Highlander himself. But uh, before we, we discuss those pressing issues, uh, Red Bandit, if you have some themes. Yeah, a couple of really deep themes for this one. Um, the first theme is nothing is what it seems. Mm. You know, everything from a stick that turns into a snake yeah. Yeah. to people coming back to life mm -hmm. to... Uh, We've seen that before in Highlander. <laughs> people turning into birds. Mm. Yeah. Vultures. Vultures. And finally... Just when you think the Highlander is lost, he does the twist move and stabs the guy. He's found. So at the very end, where you think all is lost, it's actually the opposite. That was a recurring one. The second theme is a little more mysterious. It's water. Mm. <laughs> and I can't really get a, a handle on how they're using water. It seems to sort of teleport him back to revolutionary France. <laughs> But they also, there's a, a lot of sort of stretching that goes on during the water scenes. <laughs> In yoga. <laughs> yeah. So water is a theme. Come back to me on what it actually means. Okay. And the final theme is you cannot escape the past. Yeah. I mean, this is this is, seems like just the epitome of Highlander, you know? Like, the, the further on you go, like, the harder it is to get away from your roots, be them in, in Scotland or the planet Zeist. Yeah. yeah, all these dead wives, he just can't get over it. He keeps on accruing the corpses. Well, I, I had a lot of notes on this, and so I'm just going to do my best to march systematically through through everything that I wrote <laughs> Don't down. Don't leave out anything. <laughs> <laughs> One of the main main aspects of the movie, and, and this, this is a little bit... Um, 
maybe existential from the main plot point is, is I felt like one of the main objectives of Highlander 3 was to recap Highlander 1 and distance itself from Highlander 2. Mm. The movie opens with a, a very serious monologue from Connor in which he's looking directly at the camera. I mean, it's very intense, it's very personal. You know, what, what do they call this, the, the, the third wall? What is it? Yeah, he's trying to establish yeah. his legacy. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, like, you can tell that he's sitting in, like, a, a very fancy estate. He's been reading the forums, and he doesn't like what people are posting. <laughs> There might be a fire burning to the side of him, and he's looking, and he's saying, look, forget what happened last time. We're here to talk about Highlander 1 forget the and aliens. Highlander 3, the alien bit. Forget about it. Really disappointing lack of aliens in this movie, in my opinion. <laughs> well, we can talk about Kane uh, in terms of his supernatural abilities and, and whether or not they're alien-like. So we, we open with this, with this recap, the monologue, then we're into Japan, and I, I only saw this movie once a while ago, but did the Japan sequences remind you at all of the, the first uh, Batman movie, the Christopher Nolan Batman, when he's off training with Liam Neeson? Yeah, and he's in the sort of mm -hmm. mystical temple. And yeah, yeah we also the get that in uh, Kill Bill at some point, right? Okay, and we yeah. also get that in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. And you think all those movies, they must stem from Which this? we will review. Sorry. They're all borrowing from this. Okay. Yeah. Highlander sort of laid the path. It did. It, it, with everything in life, <laughs> Highlander is really the true, true pioneer. So we, we're in the Japanese cave. We get a nice little montage of, of Connor being, being trained. Uh, I, I found Connor in these opening scenes to be really vulnerable. You know, it is compelling because, I mean, this, these, these moments in his life were shortly after the death of Heather the death of, or, yeah, the death of Heather, the death of Ramirez. He treks all the way out to Japan. He gets this training, and he has a very long face and sad eyes. What did you think, Pop Pop? Well, I, I thought um, it, it was a bit jarring. Coming, coming at it after the, the horrible experience that was Highlander 2, it was refreshing to see that they just abandoned that whole thing, and they just took care of it by saying, like, this occurred 30 years earlier. Uh, but it's just a rehash of what we saw in the first Highlander. Um, the the rehash villainy, might be a little strong. <laughs> the villainy of, of Kane is no different than the villainy... Portrayed brilliantly by Mario by Van Peebles. Mario Van Peebles. Peebles. Creepy eyes. Peebles. <laughs> so different from Prone or whatever the guy's name, <laughs> the guy's name was in Highlander 1. Kurgan. Kurgan. Played by Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown, yeah. Uh, it just wasn't that different. Um, <laughs> He's an illusionist. He is an illusionist. He's an illusionist mage. <laughs> His name is Kane. His uh, name is Kane. He burns down a village in, we think, Japan. Uh, which establishes him right out the get-go. 
as a real bad dude. Yeah, he's a Genghis Khan type. Right, um, right. Coming from the, 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 the steppes of China to... Mm-hmm. Um, we don't... You know, w- one of the things that, that boggled my mind about this movie was they never explain how he travels. We know that Connor travels... Uh, Presumably by air. Or Northwest Airlines, but we don't know how he got from China to Japan, which back in the 1300s, I assume, was, was you know, yeah. iffy. Yeah. Uh, we don't know how he got from Japan to New York mm-hmm. with no money. Mm. No uh, passport. No passport. I, I mean, I, I always, don't know. I Things always, like this always ruin the, f- they ruin the movie for me. I always figured that, that they just walked. Because, I mean, they just walked under the, the sea or something. Mm. Or the Arctic Bridge. Uh, yeah, I mean, it might have taken a while, but, you know, they can jog. They don't really, you know, they can't die. They're immortals, after all. One thing to talk about from the early scenes is, is Van Peebles, Kane. <laughs> he, he has this breastplate, and he has these little door knockers on his nipples of his breastplate. What, what did you think, Red Bandit? Well, that actually uh, brings us into our... Awesome time, smart money tips. It's time for smart money tip of the week from the Possum Times with the Red Bandit. So item number one is nose and nipple rings. Yep. <laughs> number two, you might have seen coming, is denim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the final smart money tip, good investment for you listeners out there, is dojos. <laughs> Dojos, especially well, dojos with trampolines. Yeah, well, that's that's a that's real blow up. <laughs> that's an important plot point to talk about. I mean, that's flashing ahead a bit. I mean, there is an incredible dojo fight sequence a bit further on between Connor and the no, not the Kurgan. Kane. Kane. Yeah, that involves. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. It's like Errol Flynn. You know, swinging from rope to rope with sword fights and trampoline jumping and the whole thing. It's like Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, it, it is. Now, let's talk for a moment about the female protagonist, Alex Johnson. Pop Pop, what did you think of Alex, portrayed by Deborah Unger? I thought she was okay. She she was kind of uh, wooden. Um, She's an archaeologist. Uh, yeah, like yeah. the female Indiana with an emotional Jones. Emotional range of you know. Um, a frying pan. I, I, I didn't. I wasn't convinced that she took her work seriously. Uh, we have no idea what the larger project was that she was. Some kind of electrical, style? electrical like grid. Tesla. Yeah. What did What did you think, Red Bandit? What, what What were they working on in Japan that led them to unearth this archaeological they were site? Searching for the sorcerer's cave. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I have to say, I really admired her. I think she was willing to push beyond the rules. Hmm. Remember when she steals the like sample of the fabric? Yeah, we're, we're. I mean, just to be clear to our, just to walk through our, our listeners. I mean, so so we see a confrontation early on between Cain and the sorcerer Nakano that results in his being buried, as Pop Pop discussed in the in the summary. We flash forward to 1994. Deborah Unger is employed by a Japanese company that I, we think is doing some kind of electrical grid research, something or other, and they unearth the remains of this cave and inadvertently release the, the powers the of... The Kraken. Yeah, the <laughs> powers of 
Cain and his vile, vile henchmen. Who all speak English and look the same as they did 400 years ago. Well, there are more. Yeah, he turns on one right away. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, what, what did you think about that, Pop-Pop? Why do you think that he turned on his comrades so quickly? I, I don't know. I don't know. I've been searching for answers to a lot of questions that I have about this movie, and I don't know. Um, basic, I mean, just to, just to underscore the fact that he doesn't give any, any dams. Um, just to make that absolutely clear to the audience in case there were any questions. Mm. Um, I feel bad for the guy. I mean, can you imagine like being in a coma? Or what the hell were they doing? They weren't even in a coma. They, I think they were just hanging out. I'm going to throw out one guess. The other guy had nicer hair. <laughs> he was jealous? Could be a little jealousy. Jealousy at play. <laughs> I could see Kane being a bit jealous. Yeah. I could see him being he jealous. He definitely cared about his appearance, you know? He had the like, sunglasses and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. He was just—he was just downright silly at some points. I mean, muttering these one-liners like mm. "shut up" or no, that was actually—that was one his of buddy. His assistants. Was I, his I don't buddy. know. I, I mean, they were all—they were all really stupid. I, I mean, I, I wrote down that Van Peebles is a Kurgan wannabe, but mm. let, let's just break it down. Let's compare the Kurgan, General Katana, and Kane, Red Bandit. Go. I would have to say that I like Kane because he's sort of. The trickster, you know, he's he might be a little drunk, but you know, he brings that to the role. And you know, too often these roles are played over seriously, and I, I really appreciate that the Kane's having a bit of fun. He's eccentric, you know, his sort of crazy manic ride on the highway yeah, where like yeah, the kid yeah. thinks yeah, we will he's talk die. about that. We will talk about that. Kane knows no one's gonna get hurt, he just wants to take everyone out for a joyride. <laughs> Here, hold the wheel. <laughs> yeah, he takes the wheel off. How do you even take the wheel off? He's he pull really hard. He's got a clown car. <laughs> yeah, I just got the impression that Kane was trying to be um, a crony. What, what's Clancy Brown? Clancy Brown. No, the, the Kurgan. Kurgan. Yeah. Um, one and just the same. Yeah, one and the same. I mean, the gravelly voice, the the tongue um, licking, the tongue licking, the uh, patronizing. Of, of hookers. Mm. Um, yeah, we can talk about that. Bonnie story. something, what was her yeah. name? Yeah. Oh, I don't, I, I didn't catch the prostitute's name. <laughs> I noticed that her pimp was dressed as a sailor, which I thought yeah. was interesting symbolism. I gotta say, I was sad to see that Kane did not know how to use a condom. Yeah, I was really confused. He stuck it in his mouth, he chewed it yeah. up like gum. Sex education has failed him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's move on. Um, a, a major character, and this is like a big breakthrough for the Highlander series to this point of trilogy, is that Connor has a son who he's like chilling with, riding horses in Morocco with. His son's name is John. What did you think of John, Pop-Pop? I thought he was obnoxious and didn't add anything to the film. I thought he had a great glamour shot. A great glamour <laughs> shot, yeah. That's true. Featured prominently on his desk. To dad, love John. I mean, who of us here has never autographed a picture for their father with a little note, you know, with best wishes, yeah. TT, double T's? Every year I go get glamour shots and send them to my family. Yeah, yeah, with, with personalized notes, like, like, you know, best of luck, you know, red bandit. 
<laughs> Another thing that I thought was striking, you know, so, so Connor... Oh, can we talk uh, one more thing? Yeah. How much of a deadbeat dad Connor is. Yeah, he seems to forget about John. I mean, yeah. as a viewer in the course of this hour and 40 minute movie, and it was just an hour and 40 minutes, um, I forgot about the sun angle as soon as it was introduced. I don't know <laughs> what you two thought. If he had just called his son, the sort of whole mix-up where he gets kidnapped could have been avoided. Yeah, it just wasn't it wasn't um, built out that that story, like how he came to get the son, where the son came from. Yeah, you know, and and yeah, like like um, Red Bandit was saying, after a while, I just forgot he was there, mm. and then I found myself like as he was getting yeah exactly, and then as as. The kidnapping. Plot they kind of pull un- him unfolded. back in at the last minute with a kidnapping by Kane. Yeah, but I found myself rooting for Kane uh, because <laughs> I just didn't. I didn't like that character. I didn't like the son. Um, Why? His cap. He had a red baseball cap. He wore backwards mm-hmm. like a punk. Yeah. yeah. He looks like a little like uh, Emilio Estevez or yeah, Joey Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if his career's taken off. I mean, he might be famous by now. Yeah, let me look it up. Okay, yeah, I'll be curious. Something else that happens, so, so Connor abandons John, and he shoots over to, to New York, and immediately upon his arrival in New York City, he gets shot. And, I mean, this gets back to that, like, gritty, noir New York City theme that we had in the first Highlander with the sex acts in the Madison Square Garden parking lot and all these sorts of issues. I don't know. What did you think? I mean, this is set in 1994, I believe. So what, what did you think about the characterization of New York, where you just walk down a street, he's walking down the street in his trench coat, these guys get out of the car, they mug him, he throws one through the, the window of a car, and then he gets shot repeatedly shortly thereafter. Red Bandit. I guess I was wondering what was in his bag that they took. Mm. It, there's, you know, about four or five different scenes where he's walking around New York or other places with a bag. Yeah. And we never really find out what, what's in that bag. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so John um, John was played by Gabriel Kacon. Yeah, he's who great. Who appeared in <laughs> Highlander and also, one year later, starred as Gavroche in Les Mis. Oh, yeah. So you could say Highlander launched his career. Yeah. 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 And then he was held back a year in school uh, because he took six months off to act in Les Mis. Yeah. Worth it. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. When you've got that ambition and that drive. What um, has he done since the mid-90s? Nothing. So, <laughs> so, so Connor's gunned down. He ends up in the hospital where he's being treated for these you know, potentially fatal gunshot wounds. He wakes up and just wigs out and beats up the staff and then gets thrown into the mental ward. Uh, where he meets uh, someone who's convinced that he's Napoleon Bonaparte. What did you think about that, Red Bandit? I think it uh, reminded me a lot of scene in 13 Monkeys. With Twelve. Brad, Twelve Monkeys with Brad Pitt. Yeah. Where he, you know, a lot of this sort of Connor is the victim, but here he's very clever at, at using other people for his own means. Hmm. He sort of whips up, preying on this, this person's mental illness, thinking he's Napoleon. Hmm. But he ends up escaping. Yeah, he does. He does, and then we get into a, a massive fight in the in the laundry room, 
uh, where where a lot of sheet cutting. There's a series of sheets that get sliced. At least ten sheets are sliced. Yeah, you know, as I wrote in my notes, the Mongolian attacks the laundry and then dies. <laughs> what did you think, Pop Pop? Um, I I, I kind of spaced out during that scene. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. No comments. It's it's a it's another example where we see Connor employ the special move which at that point we've seen a total number of three times. The special move was taught by Nagano. Oh, is this where they reach around? Yeah. And do the, yeah. yeah, the reach around. Yeah. I noticed they had this one little visual effect every time that came he up. He sort of gets like a like half-second of predator vision. Yeah. yeah. I counted three times for the special move reach around attack. Yeah. I was anticipating a fourth time during the final battle with Kane, but it just it never happens. So it's yeah. like, it, it never got old. No. So if it comes back in Highlander 4, I'd be fine with that. There's, there is another special move in Highlander 4. That's a major spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's another special move in Highlander 4, but we'll, we'll discuss that when the time comes, hopefully in the coming week or so. Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> another big plot point I had Pop Pop already raised, which was the question was, how the hell did the Mongolians get to New York City? But Oof. we'll just accept that on, on face value. There are also some new asshole cops in Highlander 3, which is, again, kind of an allusion to Highlander 1, where yeah. you had the, the asshole cops you know, constantly harassing Russell Nash, a.k.a. Connor McLeod. Yeah. And he specifically mentions those previous cops. Yeah. He said, so-and-so couldn't get you, but I am. Yeah. Yeah, what, what did you think of the asshole cops, Pop-Pop? Um, I don't know. He seemed like a nice guy. I really? I feel bad for these guys because they're doing their jobs. Mm. Do you know how frustrating it must be to be a cop in New York City in the early 90s? Mm. Like, before Bloomberg came in, crime is rampant. You can't smoke in the morgue. You can't smoke in the morgue. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My heart went out to those guys. They were just doing their job. Hmm. Another thing that's a return to Highlander 1 that was, in my mind, sorely lacking in Highlander 2 were the flashbacks. Mm. In, in Highlander 3, we finally get some flashbacks to Connor's past lives. Yeah. Uh, and and the, most, the main thread in Highlander 3 is we get to see him in, I imagine, 18th century France. Does that sound right? Yeah. Um, and he, he you know, kind of is, is constantly uh, reminiscing about this love affair he had with the beautiful English Sarah. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Sarah, Red Bandit? I think she looked a lot like Alex Johnson. She did look like <laughs> Alex Johnson. Down to the crazy eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of those eyebrows? I, I thought the eyebrows were a little creepy. When I first saw her, when she got off the helicopter at the beginning, I um, I wasn't very impressed. Mm. But then during that sex scene, like she was, she was pretty hot. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the sex scene? And we're talking about the the twentieth century sex scene. Notice for our, our younger viewers, this would be a good time to take a little break. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because my God, the sex scene in Highlander Three is basically softcore porn. Yeah. I don't know how else to describe it. No, yeah. it's passionate. It's very passionate. I mean, we get we get a bit of everything here. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what, break it down, pop up. Just well, uh, they get they get uh, first. Uh, uh, um, 
She has to watch him for about really eight days know. first. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so to build she's, the passion. Yeah, she's getting she's getting psyched up. Yeah. just watching him build a sword. Yeah, uh, which I guess could be metaphorical. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then they Very yeah, clever. and then they like go into a room, and um, <laughs> there's a bed. There's a fire. <laughs> there's a bed, and there's a fire, and they take off their clothes. Yeah, and then Connor. Puts his mouth on her, uh, and then they writhe around, and then they wake up cuddling. Or no, they go to sleep cuddling. Connor stays awake, which is kind of creepy. Um, mm. He's always watching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the sex scene in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah I'd say he was pretty lazy during the whole yeah. <laughs> Before all this happens, we do see Alex with her assistant in the museum laboring over a computer to decode this like piece of cloth that shows that it's uh, McLeod's clan of mm-hmm. tunic or something mm-hmm. like this. And again, this was a direct copy from Highlander 1 when you see Brenda with the computer nerd decoding the, the penmanship, or the, the signature of Connor mm-hmm. McLeod slash Russell Nash. So yeah. it's, a, it's a one-to-one parallel here between Brenda and the new love interest yeah. um, in, in Deborah Unger. But Alex. we also know that Deborah Unger has a horse. Yeah, what's the horse's name? Tarsus? Tarsius? Tarsius. Tarsius. That uh, sounds Spoiler right. alert. Yeah. yeah. Um, was someone but, just waiting for it was what never, the name of the horse was? It was never explained. Yeah, I think it just kind of subtly fleshes out the character of Alex. Yeah. She likes horses. Yeah, who doesn't? It's cool. She's got horses. Some horses. She gives them cool names. Yeah, Tarsius. <laughs> Horse. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, New York, New York City is, is a main theme in, in Highlander 3. Again, a throwback to Highlander 1, where New York was such a critical you know, aspect of the movie. But I was really aching for some queen. Did you guys feel that? I felt the lack of the queen, queen yeah. in this movie. I feel like especially during the end scene in the refinery with... Things are just blowing up left yeah. and right. Yeah. What better than Queen for that moment? There were a lot of moments where I was like, damn it. Like, if only there was some Queen music here. And there was, there were also... Here we are! Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. That's very good. The other thing that I was really missing, and I, I want to get breakdowns from each of you on this, I was really missing Ramirez. I was really missing mm-hmm. Sean Connery. Yeah, there was no sort of male companionship. No. He needs a buddy. John, how does John John compare to Ramirez? <laughs> Infinitely worse. Papa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I can't imagine. I mean, it's hard for me to remember back uh, through all of the horrors of the past couple of movies we watched to the original Highlander mm. and the camaraderie that existed between uh, Ramirez and uh, the Highlander. <laughs> One um, such as Villalobos Ramirez. But it's hard for me now to imagine um, the Highlander having a sidekick. Mm. You don't remember the purple suit? I, I remember it vaguely. Mm. I remember it only vaguely. This makes me sad. Yeah. I mean, it's sad on a very personal level that you've <laughs> forgotten, forgotten the, the joy that Ramirez brought all of us. Mm-hmm. It's a very special time you in all of our lives. All he had to do was call his name. I mean, this gets to another major gap in, in plot from Highlander 2 to Highlander 3. Uh, you know, when, when the new cop who Pop-Pop sympathizes with kind of corners Alex after 
after a battle takes place in the dojo with mm-hmm. the trampolines and things. And she stabs the cream. She stabs the cream with yeah. a knife. Mm-hmm. And it's bloody, bloody cream. Uh, the cop tells her, he's like, you know, this McLeod guy, he's attracted other women before, and he attracted this woman, Brenda, from the first movie. Mm-hmm. She went off with him to Scotland and was found dead in, in a car accident a few years ago. He survived and walked away fine. Now, remember that this is a complete contradiction from Highlander 2, in which we see Brenda dying of solar radiation poisoning. And, and her death from the solar poisoning is the inspiration for the shield. Oh, my gosh, yeah. So, so my so question... you think there's foul play. You think you killed her. Well, my, <laughs> my question is, is, was the cop lying? I think the cop's lying. You think the cop's lying? Yeah, I think oh. he's trying to turn her against him. Yeah. He's well, desperate. Then what is Connor McLeod doing falling in love with another woman when Brenda is still alive? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, this is, this is a direct... Contradiction oh with Highlander 2 because the whole reason for building the shield in Highlander 2 is Brenda's yeah, death. Yeah, yeah. And if she, you know, clearly she's not in the picture in 1994. So what, what's going on I here? don't know. There's a huge hole in this movie. I'm, I'm really concerned. I mean, this is even bigger than the... I'm surprised. This is even bigger than walking across the Pacific Ocean and across the United States to New York. Yeah. Is this something that could be fixed with some editing? Maybe. What would you suggest? I think we should start a petition. A petition? Okay. Mm-hmm. To get a new version recut. Okay. I mean, maybe. maybe they're just going through a separation. Yeah. Okay. And so he, but why did he got say- a kid in the meantime. Yeah. To go. Yeah. 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 Maybe maybe John broke them up. Yeah. Maybe Brenda hated John. Yeah. That's what happened. He's easy to hate. Yeah. <laughs> John gets... Um, uh, yeah, John probably enlists in the military and then disappears, and then he gets back with Brenda, because what's her name? Unger, Barbara Alex. Unger. Uh, she <laughs> Alex Deborah Unger. Yeah, she um, Browse. Yeah, so they, I don't know. She she drowns. So then he gets back in touch with Brenda hmm. to help him grieve. Okay. And then, yeah. And figured it all out. Occam's razor, man. That was, that was not too not too hard to figure that yeah, out. Worried for a moment. What did you think of the montage? We already talked about the sex scene. That's kind of the culmination of the montage. But Connor's return to Scotland and uh, his rebuilding his shattered sword. And oh yeah, that was terrible. Beautiful music. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I cried a little bit. I wept on on Red Bandit's shoulder. I want to know how many helicopter hours were logged <laughs> filming him swinging a sword. And running uh, across the beach. On various cliffs. I mean, it's also a throwback to Highlander 1. We remember him running across the beach with Ramirez with his shirt hanging yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How beautiful. What a beautiful man. Yeah. It's a beautiful man. Yeah, it just, I, I don't know, that, that, that whole piece about uh, Deborah Kluger. Kluger Unger. Unger. <laughs> yeah. Her just standing there watching him do all this. Yeah. And like taking it all in, invite like it involved evening shots and yeah. daytime shots, yeah. and yet she was always standing there, watching, waiting, yeah, waiting getting, for getting what ready. came, waiting yeah. to pounce. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And boy, did she pounce! <laughs> we see that. What pulls him away from this revelry is this: this you know, in in Scotland is the reminder. Oh shit, I've got a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and the kid's been kidnapped. My question is: Is you know how did the how did Kane figure out so quickly how like airports operated? Because like Kane like was he able, knew what to do? Yeah, he, he, yeah. And I also wanted to talk about John gets kidnapped. 
Kane leaves a, a nasty message on Connor's answering machine mm-hmm. to meet him in this church. Yeah. And they meet in this church, and we get to see Cain as a Christ-like figure. He, he merges with, uh, with the cross. Yeah. What did Powerful. You, what did you guys think about Cain as a Christ-like figure? I think, yeah, I could see it. You know, you, you could reinterpret this whole thing as sort of... Biblical. Christian theology. Okay, how? Cain is the, he's the saving force of mankind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or Cain is Lucifer. Cain is Lucifer. The fallen angel. It's heavy. There's a final, there's a final fight in like a refinery or something. Yeah, at, like T2. Yeah, like Terminator 2. That's a good point. I didn't think this was as good as Terminator 2, this fight. Although there is a bit where where the uh, where Kane is spliced in two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was goofy. Yeah, it was kind of wacky. <laughs> it was kind of wacky. And I thought that there was a funny like sound effect at that point. Yeah. Like, boing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He just walks himself back. Yeah, he walks himself. Torso. Yeah, yeah. What, what did you think, Papa? What did you think about that? Um, at that point, uh, I had already gotten so angry uh, that the film was still going on that when I saw that, yeah. it actually made me like the movie a bit more. Uh, because they were no longer like insulting the audience, you were suddenly in on the joke. Okay, so you think that the whole thing was was a, a yeah. joke, and yeah. that was the one of the punchlines yeah. shortly before the, uh, the the final quickening, mm-hmm. which is uh, very very powerful. Oh, I mean, yeah. because this is the real thing. We thought we saw the real quickening for the prize at the end of Highlander One, but no. Nope. Back up. No way. Back up. This it was just an appetizer. That was an appetizer for the main chorus of the quickening at the end of Highlander 3, yeah. which gives Connor the prize, which is a life with Deborah Unger and John. But isn't the prize, isn't the prize that, that, that you can have kids, that you suddenly become fertile? Yeah, so this is something... And you can die. Yeah. We get the reveal of impotency. Yeah. And how many women... Connor's been lying to. Yeah, then, well, I mean, we, 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 he says that, Kane says that very dram- dr- directly. He talks about, what's he say? His, his something pecker? His, his pecker. His immortal pack, pecker. His pecker. immortal pecker. Uh, can't, can't pack the, the Kluger. <laughs> so, and Connor obviously feels a little uncomfortable about this. You know? He feels bad. He kind of looks down at no, his No, he's, he's potent. He just is shooting blanks. Mm-hmm. So why... Why is the resolution of this him going to live with a woman who he's not going to impregnate because he already has an adopted son? Like there's no there's no prize there, you know. Maybe they have a daughter. He creates Sally. Maybe, maybe they do. Maybe he creates a new that. family, even if it's not biological. Maybe he. Maybe when you know we see them driving around, the three of them driving around the hills of Scotland. Maybe they toss John from the car and yeah. say like, "Fuck it." Start, let's start over. And then they have a kid. And then they have a proper child. It would be understandable. He's pretty a real kid. <laughs> a real kid. And there's a nice little homage to, to Heather at the end, you know, where he lights a candle at her grave, which drew a, drew a tear, I think, from all of us. I mean, when we remembered yeah. Bonnie, yeah, lighting, Bonnie Heather. Yeah, lighting a candle on a, I mean, on a windy be, hill. Let's be honest. I mean, between, between Heather and... Um, Virginia Madsen's character mm, in Highlander Brenda. 2. Mm-hmm. No, not Brenda. Who is, who is Virginia uh, Madsen in Highlander 2? She was Helen Hunt. Louise. Louise Marcus. Louise. <laughs> Louise. 
<laughs> Louise Marcus. So we have Heather, Brenda, Louise. Yeah. And <laughs> these are all like middle-aged women. <laughs> yeah, Except for Heather. We have Heather, Brenda, Heather. Louise, Sarah, and now Alex. That's that's the loop. So anyway, we have a nice little homage to, to Heather at the end. You know, I, I again, I felt like a main theme of Highlander Three is bringing back the memories of Highlander One and tossing Highlander Two out the window. And it concludes with a little with a little voiceover from Christopher Lambert, in which he he says, "It's finally over." What what? How did you two read that, uh, Red Bandit? You know, I think as great as Highlander Two was, he really wanted to get back to the roots of the series. And this does. This does. Mm-hmm. I think. Pop up. Um, I think he was just talking about the movie being over, really. <laughs> I don't think we should read too much into it. All right, well, with that, grades and final thoughts. I'm going to say A minus. A minus, yes! Yes! I like that, you know, they had a colorful villain who wasn't, a, wasn't afraid to have a little bit of fun. Eccentric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, when your source material is that good, it's okay to copy it. Yeah. You know, and to pay homage to it. Nice. And it would have been an A-plus if they had managed to work in a little bit of Aliens, but Mm. we'll see if they come back in the next movie. They very well might. (laughs) Great. Uh, I'm going to have to go with a C-minus on this one, guys. Uh, It was like the original Highlander, which I think I gave a... a, I I don't even remember, but it wasn't good. Uh, (laughs) And this film was just a more wearisome version of of the first Highlander. (laughs) Uh, Combine that with the fact that it's... The third, you know, just, uh, I don't know, some glaring inconsistencies plot-wise. The sex scene was rad, um, (laughs) so I think we're in C territory. Uh, Yeah, the acting was was mediocre all around. Um, Even John? Even John. Even John, especially John. (laughs) Uh, There wasn't really anything about this movie I liked except for that sex scene. All right. Well, I uh, I think I'm going to have to go with an A minus slash B plus. I'm right on the the border, around ninety percent. On the upside, I have very fond memories of Highlander Three. When I was about thirteen, fourteen, I, I rented this movie from the neighborhood Pathmark on yeah. on VHS. Wow. And I remember getting home very excited to see what happened next to Connor. And, uh, you know, I was very, very happy overall because it was such a return to the first Highlander, which, mm-hmm. I, which I think, you know, it just is an inherently, as, as Red Bandit said, I think it's an inherently strong premise, uh, compelling plot. But I don't think it's quite as good as the first, first Highlander. It's missing Ramirez. It doesn't have quite as many flashbacks. The flashbacks to the 18th century France are not quite as compelling as 16th century Scotland. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Highlander 1, there are also World War II. You also go back to Boston Common for the famous duel. Mm-hmm. Um, Queen. So Queen is in Highlander 1. I mean, all these things make it a bit stronger. So this... Yeah. This comes close, but isn't quite where Highlander 1 is for me. But Mm -hmm. I, overall, am quite satisfied, and it's great to see Christopher Lambert always... He's looking good. I this like is the his peak jeans. of his career. Yeah, Mortal Kombat is coming right after this. Yeah, right? I know. Like, this, is, this is Christopher Lambert at his absolute best. I, it's, it's Mortal a, Kombat! 
<laughs> so yeah, it's a great it's a great time for everybody. Highlander three, uh, the sorcerer, the final dimension, the duel, the magician, the magician, the clown, the, the, uh, go the disaster, go go see it. Uh, run, don't walk, go see it. All right. Well, on that note. <laughs> This has been the Possum Times. Hey, Possum Times fans, Double T's here. You can reach out to the Possum Times gang via email at possumcast at gmail.com and via Twitter at possumcast. Let me, the Red Bandit, and Pop Pop know what you're thinking. Suggestions for movies to review are welcome.